Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you, whether you're online with us. I can see you all in the chat this morning. It's great to have you uh, with us, whether you're on site uh, here with us this morning. It's great to have you here. Uh, in case we've not met before, my name's Chris. I'm the senior minister here at Andover Baptist Church. If it's your first time, I know you've been welcomed already if it's your first time, but it's so good to have you with us if it's your first time uh, with us today. By the way, I-, I hope this comes across online as well. You guys are sounding amazing this morning already with your, your singing, and I should say, a huge thank you to our band who just led us in an incredible way, and particular to Andy, uh, because uh, tomorrow is a big landmark day for Andy. It's his birthday, it's got a zero on the end of it. I don't know whether to say it might have got it's got a zero on the end of it, and I won't say how much, but it's got a five on the beginning of it. So, uh, Andy, happy birthday to you for tomorrow, and uh, thank you so much for what you do. And uh, Andy heads up all of our uh, sung worship here at ABC, so he leads all the bands you see and all that kind of stuff, does an amazing job uh, with all of that. So um, happy birthday for tomorrow, Andy. Right, let's get into what we're talking about today. We're carrying on this series that the other Chris, there are too many Chris's on our team here at ABC, but the other Chris started brilliantly well last week uh, when talking about living uh, with freedom. And if you haven't caught up with that, I highly commend that you do, you do that. I was away last week, so I've caught up with it in the last couple of days. Great talk uh, last Sunday in the first part of this Cost of Living series. You can go and find that on YouTube and catch up with it. But today we're talking about living with margin. Now, I wonder if you ever remember those conversations when you were growing up, or maybe if you're a parent or a grandparent or a carer now, you have these conversations with the children and young people in your life. Do you remember these conversations that went or go something like this? Parent, grandparent, carer says to young person, why did you do that? That was stupid. And young person, let's call him Jimmy, uh, Jimmy comes back and says, well, everybody else was doing it, so I thought I should do it too. And then grandparent, parent, carer says to Jimmy, Jimmy, well, if everybody else jumped off a cliff, would you do that too? You ever have those conversations? Ever had those conversations happen with you? That ever happened to you? If everybody else jumped off a cliff, would you? When was the last time you did something stupid just because everybody else was doing it? I heard somebody this week talking about tech, and this so resonated with me because this story is exactly who I am. Do you remember, if you're old enough to remember, when you got your first smartphone, or maybe you got a smartphone just a few years ago, and it was this incredible thing, and you suddenly realized in your hand you could not only make phone calls, but you could uh, uh, link up with social media, you had all these apps on there, you could check your bank balance, you could have your calendar on there, all that kind of stuff, and the only thing you had to do to get into this incredible device that was in your hands was punch in a four-digit code. Do you remember that? And you thought, like, this was, this was science fiction, that you could do this. And then you saw somebody putting their thumb on their phone. And they, it was so passe for them to have to enter a four-digit code. All they had to do was put their thumb on the phone, and it exploded into life, and all this stuff was suddenly available to them. And you thought, I cannot live without that. I cannot go on having to punch in a four-digit code to open my phone when I know there's a device that all I have to do is put my thumb on it and it will open for me. So you got one, and that was amazing. And then, just a year or two later, you saw somebody, and all they had to do was look at their phone, and it exploded into life. 
And you were like, I'm stuck having to put my thumb on the phone. And all these other people have to do is look at their phone. How can I possibly live without this thing? Because I can't, maybe if you're still putting your thumb on your phone, or maybe you're still punching in a four-digit code to your phone, and other people just look at theirs, and all this magic happens. And you think, I have got to get myself one of those. I cannot live without that in my life. Now, that's a bit of a metaphor, isn't it? I mean, that's definitely how I am. I I see people with tech, and I think, I have got to get me one of those. But it's a little bit of a metaphor for what we do in our lives. We see something that somebody else has got, or we see other people jumping off a cliff, and we get into a cycle of jealousy, and we want to have what other people have got just because they've got it, really. And so we jump off a cliff just because everybody else is doing it. Well, of course, all joking aside, that's a really dangerous place to be, particularly when it comes to money and material things. Because the phones that you put your thumb on, or the ones that you look at when you're still putting your thumb on, or typing, they always cost more money, don't they? They always cost more. There's always a price to be paid. But it's so easy to give in to that cycle of jealousy, of wanting what other people have got, and then to get yourself in trouble because of that. So this series we're doing today uh, today and, and carrying on next week and started last week called Cost of Living is looking at some core principles and values that I think can help and sustain us and maybe even challenge some of those cycles that it's so easy for us to get in. And I really uh, am praying too that they will provide us with hope, these principles and values, in what is for all of us difficult times. We're living in this moment in in history, this cost of living moment where everything's going up and energy prices are rising and all that kind of stuff. And we're all wondering about what that means and how we cope and what we do and, and is there some hope in the midst of all of that. And the good news is for all of us here today or online, whether we would say we're people of faith or not, whether we would say we're church people or not, whether we call ourselves Christians or not, we are all in the same boat when it comes to this. We are all facing this cost of living moment crisis together. We're all doing it. So if you would say, well, look, I'm just really kind of here checking God out this morning. I I don't really know what I believe about this stuff. Or maybe you haven't been to church for years and years and years. I want to encourage you that what we're talking about through this series is really appropriate for you as it is for all of us. We are all in this same boat today. We all need principles and values that will give us hope, that will help us. Now, I'm convinced that these principles and these values that we're talking about uh, come from God because of what God wants for us. And again, if you're not a person of faith and you don't believe in God, that's fine. That's great. We're so pleased that you're here. But I want you to know that I believe this is God's heart for you. This is God's heart for all of us. And these values and these principles are incredibly practical but come straight out of what God would desire for us. So as I said earlier, last week we talked about living with freedom. That's a principle and a value that I think God wants for us to live free. And today we're talking about living with margin. This principle that I think helps us with our freedom, frees us from anxiety and worry, can give us hope, can give us the opportunity to respond when something happens or a situation or a circumstance takes place in our life or indeed in the life of somebody else.
And to get uh, and unpack this principle of living with margin, I want to go to the Old Testament part of the Bible. And I want to go to a story about a guy called Samuel. And it's got to do with a whole bunch of people who want what other people have got and therefore who jump off the cliff and how that causes them difficulties and worries, how that steals from them and how so often we can find ourselves in that similar position. So this guy called Samuel... Uh, And this story revolves around him and the people that he was leading. The story of Samuel in the Old Testament, I think, is a great story. Samuel grew up in the tabernacle, which was the kind of center of the faith of the ancient people of Israel that are part of this kind of central theme and story of the Old Testament part of the Bible. And as Samuel grew up, he discovered he had this gift of being able to hear from God and pass that on to other people. The Bible sometimes calls that uh, prophecy or being a prophet. So Samuel was a prophet. He was able to hear from God and pass that on to other people. And through his leadership of the people of Israel, they were set free from the oppression they suffered from the neighboring uh, nation of the Philistines who came and overran them. But through Samuel's leadership, they were able to be liberated from that oppression. And Samuel was recognized through this kind of prophetic thing that he had going on as the leader of the people of Israel. But the moment we come to in his story this morning is when he was getting old and the people he was leading were wondering what was going to happen after he'd gone, after he died. Who would provide that kind of God-centered leadership that Samuel had been able to give to them? So we're going to pick up the story in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, chapter 8. And I'm going to read uh, through a few verses and comment on them as we do so. So let's just get a little bit of background. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So unfortunately, Samuel's sons were not great. And the people of Israel were worried what was going to happen to them if these sons took over leadership when Samuel was gone. What would they do? Well, we read on. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old. That's nice, isn't it, by the way? And I just a little bit of an aside here. This is what my team here, our staff team, say to me all the time. They say to me, you are old. You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now we're back to Samuel. I don't have any sons, so we're okay. You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. And that's really interesting. They want a king. They don't want these sons to be leading them, which you understand, right? You understand that emotion and that feeling because the sons aren't great. But they decide that the solution to this must be to have a king. They haven't had a king to this point. must be to have a king because all the other nations have a king. Samuel wasn't a king for them. God was their king. Samuel was kind of the messenger from God. But they want to run off the cliff, right? Everybody else has got a king, so we should have one too. Hey, Jimmy, if everybody else jumped off the cliff, would you do that too? Yes, All the other nations have got a king. We want one. They looked to all the other tribes and groups of people around them, the Philistines and the Assyrians and all these people who are around about them, 
And they all had a king, so they assumed that, would what, that was what would be best for them. Everyone else has got one. We want one too. Everybody else just looks at their phone to open it. I need to do that too. It's the same attitude. I can almost imagine Samuel might have said to them, so if all the Assyrians jumped off a cliff, would you do that too? So we'll carry on in the story. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So Samuel's really upset about this. And by the way, I think it's really interesting how God deals with Samuel, first of all. We'll get on to how God deals with everybody else. How does God deal with Samuel? He says, Samuel, don't be insecure about the fact that they all want a king and you haven't been one. Don't worry about that. His first thing that God does is say to Samuel, don't worry. You may think this is about you. It's not about you. Don't worry. How you're feeling rejected is how I, God, often feel when people turn their backs on me. I think that's really fascinating that that's the first place God would go. But Samuel prays and God speaks to him. And God says, basically, if this is what they really want, well, we'll let them have it. And that tells us something about God. God doesn't force his will on people. He will let people choose. He will let us choose our own destiny if that's what we want. Because God is gracious and merciful and loving and kind. And God is not going to force his will on anybody. And God doesn't do that here. So Samuel gets up before all the people and he explains to them what's going to happen if they choose a king. He said, God's going to let this happen. God's going to allow you to choose this direction. But let me explain to you what is going to happen if you choose a king. And as I read these verses, I want you to see how many times stuff is going to be taken from the people if they choose to have a king. Look, Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. So first of all, you're about to get reigned over. You're about to become enslaved to somebody. And this is what he will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When, the day come, when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Look at how much is going to be stolen from them, taken from them, if they choose to go down this route and have what everybody else has. Samuel's pleading with them, really, saying, please, please think about what you are asking for. But the people reply, 
But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. Then we will be like everybody else. Then we will have what everybody else has got. It doesn't matter that that king's going to steal from us and take from us and enslave us and entrap us. It doesn't matter because we will be like everybody else now. We will have got what everybody else has got. Now, do you see this attitude? This attitude that comes to us from uh, ancient times, from ancient history. It's the same attitude that human beings have and have had all through their history. It's the same attitude we so often have today. It's the same attitude I've got when it comes to phones and tech. And it's been going on for centuries. This need or desire in us to have what everybody else has got. And it's been going on in us for as long as there have been human beings. And Samuel is pleading with them and saying, please, please don't take this route. If you go down this path, you're going to be enslaved to this thing that you think you want. You're going to have to give them of your first and your best. And when you become enslaved, when you make that decision, things are taken from you. Things that are precious to you will be stolen away. And I wonder if that resonates with you at all. I wonder if you think of the things sometimes you've given yourself away to. <clears throat> you've had that you couldn't really afford, that debt that you've got into, that time and energy that you've given into something that's not been good for you, the choices that you've made and how they have left you feeling entrapped or enslaved whether they've stolen something from you. You know, every time financially we go into debt, whatever that looks like, the first priority with our finances has to be to service that debt. The people that you are in debt to don't care about anything else that's going on in your life. They don't care about other priorities that you might have or other things that you might want to do. They just want their payment. And they're going to come at you first. That's the first thing that's going to happen. I wonder if you've ever looked back at the route you've taken. Maybe because everybody else seems to be taking it. But it's left you struggling. Struggling to cope or struggling to keep up. Perhaps, maybe we can put this another way. We've elevated something up in our lives. But that thing that we've elevated is making demands on us that are leaving us feeling trapped. Who or what are you elevating in your life that's making demands on you that you can't keep? Maybe it's that payment plan or that credit card payment for that new TV that seemed to make so much sense when you were in the shop, but now you're struggling to keep up payments on. Maybe it was that promotion at work that seemed so good and that everybody wanted you to take and that everybody else seemed to be having. But now it's making demands on your time and your weekends and your evenings and you don't have a life beyond work and it's just too much. Or once upon a time you liked a glass or two of wine at the end of a week but now it's become every evening and it's more than a glass, it's a bottle and it's making demands on you. Or that relationship that you're in that seems like such a good idea at the time and you wanted so desperately to have because everybody else you know seems to be in a relationship. So even though you weren't totally sure when it started out, you set off down that road and now that relationship is making demands of you that are uncomfortable or that stop you being you 
and you feel enslaved. Maybe it's a toxic friendship that seemed like a good idea at the time, or getting in with a bunch of people that seemed like such a great crowd to hang out with, but now it's making demands of you that you're not comfortable with. This thing that you've elevated, this king that you've placed in your life, is making demands of you that aren't good for you or that you can't keep. You know, if we had time to read on in the story of Samuel, we would see that the Israelites got their wish, they got their king, and all of this came true. They became enslaved and entrapped, and this would be their experience going forward. And maybe as we're talking right now, you realize that this is your experience. Maybe this is happening for the first time. Maybe you're seeing for the first time what's really going on, these kings that you've elevated in your life that are now trapping you. If we want to live with margin, live free, live free from anxiety and worry, we have to get rid of those kings in our lives. We have to get rid of those kings. And I want to say again, whether you're a person of faith or not, God has a heart for you. God has a a, a way that he would like you to live, an experience that he would like you to have. And it's not this. It's not being entrapped and enslaved to those kings. That's not how God would want you to live. God doesn't want you to live struggling to make payments or pay off debts. God doesn't want you to live constantly enslaved to another person or to a bank or to a credit card company or to an employer or to a toxic relationship. God doesn't want you to be enslaved to those things. In another part of the Old Testament part of the Bible, there are these wisdom sayings, almost poems, Uh, axioms, which I love. They're in this book called Proverbs. And here's one of them. And I think this gives us a clue as to how we get rid of these kings in our lives and how we build margin into it. It says, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. And by the way, I don't think this is true just of money. I think this is true in every area of our lives where margin is good for us, whether that be our time, our energy, our relationships, our finances. So how do we create margin? Well, I think that proverb gives us a clue as to how we create margin in our lives. How do we find a way to live with margin, even in a time where we've got a cost of living crisis going on? Here's what I think it takes to find some margin in our lives, to ensure we're not enslaved or entrapped, that we're not elevating those kings into a place in our life where it's taking so much from us. I want to ask, can we find a way to bank 5 or 10%? Here's what I mean by that. Rather than live right up to the edge, right up to our limits or even beyond our limits because of debt, rather than push right up or beyond our limits, can we put away a percentage, whatever that looks like for you, can we bank it? And I'm not just talking about money here either. I'm talking about our time and our energy, and yes, our finances. Can we bank 5% or 10% of our time, our energy, and our money? And can we save it away to create margin? Because you see, to save is to create margin, and to create margin is to take back control of your life, of your time, and your energy, and your finances. And living with margin frees us and liberates us. It frees us so that money doesn't make every decision for us. 
It frees us from the pressure and the stress of rushing from one thing to the next to the next. It frees us from the stress that when those challenges or issues or difficulties strike, we've got some way of coping. It frees us to be generous with our time and our energy and our finances to help others or to respond to a great cause that we're passionate about. And the only way to create margin is to find some discipline. And I think saving, and I'm not just talking about finances, and I know it's a slightly strange concept to to get, but can we, can we save some percentage of our time and our energy too and put that away and say, right, I'm not going to fill up every waking moment of every day with stuff. I'm going to create some margin. And the only way to do that is through some discipline. Church leader and author Andy Stanley says this, we can raise our standard of living through debt, but we raise our quality of life through discipline. We can keep dipping into the pool of debt financially, or we can keep dipping into the pool of debt with our time and our energy, keep giving away more than we have, filling every waking moment, depriving ourselves of sleep, all of that kind of stuff. That's to go into debt with our time and our energy. And it may feel for a while like we have more stuff or we're getting more done. It may feel like our standard of living is rising. But we always, always, always pay for that. Cards on the table time. Let me be vulnerable with you for a moment if I can. My challenge in this, in this message, in what we've been talking about today, in creating margin, my challenge in all of this is time and energy. Many years ago at a church I was at, we did a great money management course and I did it along with others uh, uh, there and along with what my dad taught me when I was growing up. Uh, It taught me discipline in our finances And I've learned to create that discipline. It would not be my natural inclination. I would get the latest gadget every day of the week. But I've learned some discipline in that area of my life and created some margin in our finances. But for me, time and energy are a whole different matter. I live right up to the edge with those things. As people who know me would tell you, and I'm trying not to look at them at the moment, they would tell you that I'm being honest and truthful here. I always want to be doing stuff. I always want to be throwing myself in and every last ounce of time and energy I've got. I love being a leader in a church like this. And I love throwing all of my time and energy into it. But it can become for me all-consuming. And thank God I have some wonderful people in my life who nag me about it a lot. If you were being vulnerable, if you were standing up here right now being vulnerable, what would you say honestly is your challenge. Where are you feeling entrapped or enslaved? Where do you need to create some margin? Where do you need to find the freedom that God longs for you to have? What is it for you? Time, energy, finance? How could you put away a percentage, whatever that might look like for you? And I recognize we're all in very different positions in all of those areas today. 5%, 10%, whatever it is. Could you start by doing something, putting something away so that you're beginning to create some margin? And if you're at that point right now where you're making key and important decisions about what to do in these different areas of your life, 
Could you be thinking about this? Because this is the best time to be thinking about this. Before you throw yourself in, before you make that purchase, before you take on that mortgage, before you take on that new job, before you take on that new promotion, before you throw yourself into a new venture, before you sign your kids up for that new club, before, 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 could you ask yourself the question, is this worth what it's going to cost me further down the road? in terms of my time or my energy or my finances? Is this worth giving away some of my margin for? Is this worth making a king in my life? Because that's the best time to be making those kind of decisions. But if that time is gone and you're right up to the limit or maybe beyond the limit, could you take a look at what kings you've elevated in your life and say, are there some that I could get rid of? Is there some stuff I could take back Is there some things I could say no to? Is there some choices I could make that would allow me to bank some time or some energy or some money to create margin in my life? And again, just as we come into land, I just want to say this. This principle, these principles we're talking about, living with freedom, living with margin, next week living with generosity, these are principles that God longs for us to have in our lives. Because he longs for the best for us. God longs for the best for you. And these things are the ways that God would say, would have you living at your best. Living at my best. Let's pray, shall we? (coughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for... uh, just this very practical, down-to-earth kind of wisdom that we find through these incredible stories in the Bible. We can see resonating in the life of the people of Israel under the leadership of Samuel, these things that go on for so many of us in all these different areas of our lives. Struggle that we so often have to build margin in, to not have what everybody else has, has got or what we think everybody else has got. Oh God, show us the better way, we pray. Thank you that your heart for us is that we would live free from these anxieties and these worries, that we would live with margin. Lord, help us just in these moments now to allow ourselves to be a bit convicted of things in our lives that we should be thinking about differently or doing differently, these kings that we've elevated. And Lord, I pray, I pray for contentment here today, both online and on site here. I pray that we would just find a way to be contented with what we have, with what you've given to us, with the situations and circumstances we find ourselves in. Not to always be in that cycle of wanting what everybody else has got. And Lord, we recognize that the key to contentment is gratitude and thankfulness. Being grateful for what we have, grateful for who we have in our lives, grateful for the financial and material resources that you've given to us. And Lord, I pray particularly for anybody who's listening to this today, for whom this cost of living crisis is a real crisis just really struggling to make ends meet right now and just this idea of trying to find any margin at all just seems so far off 
Lord, just speak freedom from worry and anxiety. Speak hope into those lives, I pray. Give courage and boldness to reach out, Lord, for any of us in that situation, for us to reach out for help from people that we know, from people at the church here, from us at ABC, from those who can help with wisdom and counsel about living free from debt. Lord, lead us into that place of contentment, wherever we are, whatever the situations and circumstances of our lives, I pray. Amen.